What's up, everyone? It's Isaac Smolden, the production manager here at my house. A reminder that today's episode of My Voice is part two of a two-part series with our guest. If you are looking for part one, it is season two, episode six. And if you haven't listened to it, you should absolutely go check it out before taking a listen to today's episode. Thanks. Enjoy the show. My Voice is a chance for those who have struggled with addiction, homelessness, depression, and domestic violence to have a candid conversation about their life experience, current situation, and future goals and aspirations. Every episode is conducted anonymously to facilitate a comfortable and safe place for guests to tell their story. My Voice is hosted by Mike Sisson, who works as a case manager at the My House facilities in Wasilla, Alaska. We now join a My Voice conversation already in progress. So let's highlight a couple of things here, because like I said, you're really gracefully talking about your trauma and realistically what you went through is so dark and so awful and so horrible. Objectively, just thinking about the things that you had to experience 12 homes from birth to two years old. Infants thrive on consistency. Just that one piece alone, you were set up for disaster based on that by itself let alone the actual real abuse and neglect you went through. Mm-hmm. You you go through all that. You get adopted into a family where you experience some more of it. And in these systems that are built to help, that quite frankly, just they need some reform, and oh, some, yeah. some adjustments and some fixing up. And I say that with no malice. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of fact. Talk to anybody who's been through foster care. Talk to anybody who's been through the system. That They say the same thing. And until people pay attention to it and start looking into it and doing something about it, it's going to stay the same way. Yeah. And so when you get a chance, I just want to encourage you in your story, continue to share your experience too. And if you get an opportunity to speak directly on it anywhere, um, I encourage you to do so if you feel so inclined. Because it there, there's another quote I really like. And it says, um, evil prevails when good men do nothing. Really, you could just change it to good people. And when we, that's why I like this organization so much, because when we as an organization see something happening, we don't sit by, we Mm -hmm. don't be quiet. Um, We just had a a bunch of stuff go down that will, that's for another time, different conversation with a lot of different things happening right now. um, And we are active in being a part of the solution. So kudos to you for speaking truthfully about your experience. And in that entire, from from birth to 16, it sounds like maybe you had a few years where nothing happened, where maybe a few years where you didn't have direct trauma in 16. That is profound that you made it from that. So so I just wanted to highlight that because you, you just said it so graciously, but you went through some real... Horrible things. You you mentioned sexual abuse. You mentioned physical abuse. You mentioned neglect. You mentioned those things. They these are very 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 deep traumas. You get to sixteen. You go to treatment. 
Now from 16 to 18, what was that like? What was the next couple of years of your life like? Well, so let me just say this. I was in treatment from 13 to 18. Oh, wow. There was little pauses in between. um, But like due to me not knowing how to emotionally regulate myself and process through things, I struggled a lot with suicidal ideation, self-harm, and drinking. Yeah. And so, like, from age 13, you know, the first time I went to a behavioral health facility. What was the facility? North Star. What what was your experience there? um, Being at North Star for that long, I, you know, there was some very traumatic things that I saw. Just the way they handle things there, I do not agree with, with the overly medicating people of the way they handled kids in distress. Mm. I just, I do not agree with how they run things there. But at the same time, it was my safe haven because due to being at North, I went to North Star four four times. Um, First time was 13. I was there for a month and then I got discharged. Um, The second time, I was admitted from trying to trying to actively I was like actively self-harming and it was mm-hmm. it was really bad that time um and so I was admitted to North Star I was on their acute unit which is 30 days um and it's a, it's a higher level than their uh their tr- their long term there mm-hmm. um and from their acute unit, I got transferred to the long term. And I was there for five months that time. Um, and they have two levels in long term. One level is a month on a higher level, like like two or three months actually on that level. And then you get transferred to a lower level where you have more freedom and you can actually leave Um And I was stuck on that higher level for five months due to me struggling so badly with suicide and self-harm that they transferred me back to the acute unit, which is way higher level than the long term. My my mom ended up pulling me out of North Star um, because I was begging her because I wasn't moving forward in their program. And she, she took me out and... I, I think I only lasted a couple of months before, you know, I tried, like, I was self-harming again. And my mom, that's when she moved us to Fairbanks. I was 16, and we moved in with this man, and he was not healthy at all. Um, very verbally abusive and manipulative and I was so angry being in that environment that she would put up with that and let me see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just lashed out. And I lashed out, like, sexually, physically, like, on myself. Um, I was just so angry. And I remember it was this one time she found out that I was sexually active and she did not like that. And so she lashed out, and she got really physical. And I just remember her, like, I was before school, and I was about to leave for school, and her and I got into this argument about that. 
and I started walking away because I was super angry, and she she just yanked me back by my hair, threw me on the ground, and just got on top of me and started, like, physically hitting me, like, beating me. Um, and then, you know, directly after that, after she got that out, she told me to go ice myself so I wouldn't bruise before I went to school. You know, and I did. I did ice myself. But when I got to school, my whole face was bruised up, my whole body, just black and blue. And that's when I got pulled into the school counselor's office, and they asked me what was going on, and I just broke down. And that's when, that's when OCS got involved. And when OCS got involved, I went to this uh, teenage shelter in Fairbanks because I knew that if I went home, it would not go down well because OCS was contacted. So I ended up in that, um, that, that teen shelter there. And I remember my mom, when we finally talked, um, she told me, she was like, if OCS gets involved again, you're out. You're going to go back in the system. Um, and I was just super upset about that because it, wasn't my fault that she got physical with me. That was her choices, her that's actions. Right. And so super angry about that. And that's when I ended up in that facility in Fairbanks. Um, it was a family-oriented facility. And I was there for four months. And the whole time, my mom didn't talk to me. And the only reason she started talking to me again was because I tried killing myself. And then that's how I ended up in North Star again. And that time, I was in North Star until I was 18. I aged out of North Star, and they wanted to send me out of state to a facility where they accepted 18 and older. But of course, I was 18 at the time, and I was like, no, um, I'm able to do what I want. I do not want to go out of state. I don't want to go to another facility. Like, I just want to live a normal life because... I grew up in North Star. Like, I didn't really actually experience life. And when I was experiencing life, quote-unquote, it was drinking. Um, and with with being a North Star and everything, you know, like they diagnosed me with depression, anxiety, well, major depressive, depressive um, depression, um, and bipolar. And so when I turned 18, you know, of course, I went and saw a different psychiatrist, I was seeing her, um, and she she was prescribing medication. You know, I've been medica- I was medicated since I was thirteen, mm. um, like heavily medicated. And when I turned eighteen, I went and got my own psychiatrist. I was seeing her. She was like, you know, prescribing me this medication, and I just stopped taking it. Um, and I didn't tell her for a while. And when I told her, she was surprised. <laughs> She was like, and you haven't, like, tried killing yourself or self-harming or any of this? She was like, you're doing okay? And I was like, yeah. I was like, I feel fine. Like, um, and that freaked her out, (laughs) seeing me Mm -hmm. um, just not being on medication because I was medicated my whole teenage life. And Interesting. And that's when she wiped all of my diagnoses. She wiped the depression, the anxiety, bipolar and I got reevaluated by her, and that's when 
she diagnosed me with borderline personality disorder, but she did not put that on my record. Also interesting. Because with having BPD on your record, Mm -hmm. she said it really restrains you from different careers and being able to live your life normally with that being on your record. Mm, okay. And she didn't want that be to be de- debilitating t- to my life. So major depressive disorder is just basically like really bad depression. Yes. Bipolar is like issue regulating your moods basically, mm-hmm. right? Disorder. So you're telling me that when you were a teenager, you were really, really sad and had a problem regulating your emotions due to trauma. Yes. And that you found out as an adult that you didn't actually have any disorders. It was actually because you were in a living hell every day. Yes. And it had nothing to do with actually a diagnosis. Exactly. You Interesting. Know, I think I was mi- I was misdiagnosed because of the chaotic household. You know, not only was I experiencing abuse from <clears throat> my mom, but for my brother. You know, he was a very violent person. Um And so, like, when I turned 18 and I moved in with different family, not to say I didn't struggle with, like, depression or anything, but I did not need to be medicated for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where that BPD comes in. Because with the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, Mm -hmm. in that, in those, that there's some points you have to hit to be um, diagnosed with that. Hard time regulating emotions, abandonment issues, negative self-image, very impulsive, and all these, like, different aspects of just negativity of, like, it's almost like this voice in your head telling you all these horrible stuff about yourself and about Mm. life, you know, and that's what I focused on Mm. majority of my life. And when she told me that um, she thinks I have BPD, that's when I started really looking into it and doing research and figuring out that does align with my childhood and everything because part of being another part of being diagnosed with BPD is trauma mm-hmm. and oh, there's it's another one but you know like it it can stem from really bad trauma and that's where you're not secure within yourself and who you think you are. Mm-hmm. and you have a hard time um, regula- regulating yourself and accepting yourself. And um, I was just so uncomfortable, mm-hmm. so uncomfortable um, before I started looking into that and, like, learning the different triggers and thought processes. Like, I learned to, like, throw a curveball and not, um, allow those things to run my life. That's awesome. So that is awesome. You know, I am not a professional uh, in the mental health field by any stretch <clears throat> whatsoever. I I see and hear a, a lot of misdiagnosis or incorrect diagnoses in teenagers who are living in you know, unfavorable circumstances, hell, basically. And I think that a lot of times it's why it's very important for anybody in any field, a doctor, um, a physical health doctor, provider, mental health provider, anybody, it's important to approach things with like this holistic idea 
where you take the entire person into consideration um, and you, you get more and more details. South Central Foundation, I went to a uh, conference a long time ago and they talked about this doctor, how he talked about experiencing a lot of patients get mis- getting misdiagnosed and his brother did in college, got misdiagnosed with schizophrenia and he just had, he was on a bad acid trip. And he told this gut-wrenching story about how his brother was institutionalized and given a certain medication and was in a you know, mental inpatient facility uh, for people and how it pretty much robbed years and years of his life. So I, again, it's just such an important piece of your story and an important thing for, for anybody to hear that, um, you know, if you have somebody who's going through trauma and they're having a tough time regulating their emotions, it might not be a disorder. It might just be a result of their atmosphere mm-hmm. of what they're going through. Yeah. I'm super glad you found somebody who cared enough to reevaluate you and find out, okay, well, you actually don't have this, but you do have this. And you were able to learn about that. That's incredible. I'm, I'm very relieved to hear that because it's not always the case. <laughs> A lot of people go a long time before they find someone who really wants to dig in and figure out what's going on. So I'm really happy to hear that. So then you're 18. You decide, you know, I don't want to do... How old are you now? I am 20. Okay. So now, when when does your experience with my house come into play? Um, So it... So... I moved out when I was 18 with family members, and I did not have a job. I was still technically in school, um, and my mom, even though, you know, she tried to have me move out of state with her, and I told her no, so she moved out of state. That's when I moved out here to the valley, and while being out here in the valley, I felt so caged because... Even though my mom was out of state, she was still in charge and control of me. Mm. And, um, you know, and and while being at that, that family member's house, I, you know, with all the medications I was on, I was on antipsychotics, uh, depression meds, anxiety meds. And one night I, I was just so over being controlled and manipulated by my mom. And so I... I took all of my medication all at once, and with doing that, um, I ended up in the hospital, and they say by the time I arrived at the hospital, I was dead, and I had to be resuscitated, and then I was resuscitated, and due to the amount of medication I took and some of the components of it, like slowing your heart rate down and all this stuff, like the anxiety medication... I went into a coma for a week, and I was in a coma, and, like, my poor family, that brought me to the hospital. They remember by the time we arrived there, they, you know, of course, they announced a code blue, and they said about 30 people came, Um, and they were all just working on me, like, trying to get me back to being alive and stable, um... And so, yeah, I ended up in the ICU for a week on life support in a coma. And the doctor told my mom that that he wanted to just pull the plug, you know, because he didn't think I was going to wake up and that I was just dead. Um, and, you know, my mom was like, what 
like she she was not happy with that. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> and you know, of course, she told them to keep holding on, and uh, a couple more days, and then finally, you know, woke up from from that coma, and I ended up in the psych ward at Matsu Regional, um, and so I was at Matsu Regional for two weeks, and I was trying like, and my family, any of my family, did not want me to come live with them. Um, because I did just try to kill myself. I, I succeeded and then was brought back to life yeah, in a coma. Yeah, they were probably scared. They were terrified. Yeah. They did not want me to live with them. And so that's where my house comes to, to play, you know. I remember the people over in the psych ward were trying to help me find a place to live. And that's when they suggested my house. Um, <clears throat> and I was terrified, <laughs> you know. Because, um, you know, I was either with my mom, my my other family or uh, North Star, and so this was new, and and that's that's when you guys came. You told me you gave me the paperwork, told me the rundown of how this program works, and that um, I'm going with you guys today. And so they they brought me to the you know my house. They showed me everything. Do you remember who went? It was Justin and Denali. Right, that's what I thought. Yeah, so Justin and Denali came. They gave me a rundown and every of everything, and um, I was terrified because at the time, I you know I didn't know Justin very well, and he's a very like stoic person, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, he's mean, you know. But in all reality, he's just a really nice um, guy, you know. And once you start to get to know him, you realize why. Um, the way he is. So, like, I got really close with um, Justin and you. Um, and I, well, I was introduced to my house. I was here. Um, and when I got here, I was in such a bad mental state, um, not regulating my emotions, not... Um, just being angry at the world and myself for being alive, mm. you know, because I was super mad that <laughs> they brought me into the hospital and that, you know, I was alive. And I I just started drinking a lot um, while being in your guys' housing. Yeah, I remember that. And it was really bad. Um, and I, you know, like I tried the whole Vivitrol thing, this uh, – the uh, the assistance with that, and I just kept drinking, and I just can- kept ending ending up in the hospital due to drinking while being on Vivitrol, and that's when you guys helped me get into treatment. And at first, it was outpatient treatment, but I kept drinking. And I remember <clears throat> you give me the thirty day challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally failed that. <laughs> totally. Um, and I was lying through my teeth. I was like, oh, yeah, I've been sober this long, you know? Yeah, I knew. <laughs> yeah, but in all reality, I was still drinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because I was obsessive. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, um, you guys uh, reached out. Because you and my, the, fis- the outpatient I was going to had correlation. Like, we're able to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You guys, uh, I think, asked my substance abuse counselor to reevaluate me, and he did, and that I ended up in inpatient tr- treatment. Mm-hmm. 
I was so angry because <laughs> mm-hmm. I did not think that I belonged there and that I was way too young to be there because I was 18. Um, and I still thought like, oh, I have years of partying ahead of me. Yeah, I have time <laughs> to figure this out. Yeah, I'm exactly. Just, I just started. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and and so I was in, I was in rehab uh, for six months. And I was close to graduating, um, but I got stagnant in their program, and so I left. And due to me leaving uh, their program and not graduating, I stayed sober for a month after, and then I started drinking again, and that instability of life and self-image came back Mm. um, because I felt so lost. And I remember one night I was going to be homeless again, And I remember calling Carly, just bawling. I was like, Carly, I don't know what to do. I I don't have anywhere to go. I've been drinking. And I remember this still to this day. Like, she's like, okay. She's like, I let you back in. But if you drink once, you're out. And I took that to heart. And I haven't taken a drink since. You know, that my sobriety date is the day I moved back into your guys' housing. You know, and I've kept that. You know, and I've kept so that with, cool. <laughs> um, like, the support of you guys, the support of my house, helping me get a job, helping me get to and from work. And I remember when I first moved into housing, I was really struggling with wanting to drink. And I remember calling Carly one night, and, oh, it was because um, someone I knew overdosed. They they passed away, mm. and I was so heartbroken over that and so sad because um, I felt so much guilt. Because they tried reaching out to me, and I didn't do anything. But that's, you know, I just was not in the state to help them, Mm -hmm. and I realize that now. Um, But at the time, I was hurting really badly, and I was feeling such strong emotions that I didn't want to feel and I didn't want to face. And I knew that if I would drink, I wouldn't remember. Yes, those thoughts and feelings and it my focus would be elsewhere um and i remember just calling carly and telling her you know that that i really want to drink right now and i really don't want to and i'm really struggling right now and i'm really sad um and she took me with her family to church and that honestly made such a big impact on me because I didn't have the connections yet with the program I'm in mm-hmm. at that time. And so with her reaching her hand out and helping me, not only once but twice, like, it gave me hope. Like, seeing her, seeing, you know, the way she lives. Um, and, like, being surrounded by those positive people that night was amazing. And seeing that I'm not alone and that it's not just me and my thoughts against the world. And so... Definitely grateful for Curly giving me a second chance because I put her through hell when she was house lead the first time I came into housing. (laughs) Absolute hell. (laughs) And, you know, but like with being in recovery this time around, I was able to make amends, be able to like show them. I can I can say sorry all, all I want, but reality is I show them through my actions. That's right. And so, like, this time around with my house, like, with me being in recovery and showing them 
um, my intentions this time are better than last time and that I'm really trying and it sure as hell paid off. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) just super, super grateful because I would not be here where I'm at in life right now without my house. Um, so I'm just super grateful because I would be so lost and I'd probably just be living on the streets, still drinking, hopeless. And you guys offered that support and love. And, you know, that's when I actually engaged in a program. I engaged in actually trying to work on myself. I engaged in work, just self-improvement from the support of you guys. Wow. I just want to go back. I didn't want to interrupt you because you were on a really awesome rhythm and role sharing, but uh, you died. I did. You died at one point. I did, yes. You went through trauma and you literally died and were resuscitated. We could call this one, but did you die, I think, maybe. Like, you had a hard life, but did you die? (laughs) You, like, through all of that, everything you went through, the abuse, physically, all of it, dying, being resuscitated to today, over a year sober, you have your own car, you have a drive, a nice car. I've seen it. You have a, your driver's license. You have a job that could turn into a career for you, not just a, you know, run of the mill job. Yep. You have a bright future ahead of you. And I'm super glad that we got to be a part of helping you along the way. Super glad and honored to be a part of your story and that we got to help you. I just want to remind you and encourage you. You did that. You did that. We, as an organization, we showed you the way. We opened some doors for you. You had to walk through them. You had to make that choice. So don't ever forget that. This is a very important piece of your story, too. You chose to do things. You made the effort. Yes. And, you know, like with the first time being around in the My House program, I just half-assed everything, you know. I didn't put any effort into it. Um, But with, like, coming into my house the second time around and actually putting in the work, I started seeing the progress I've made and all the different, like, with me making good choices and living, trying to live a good, honest life, it has gotten me this far and actually putting in the effort because my whole life I've never really done that. So it's it's, it's crazy to think about sometimes. (laughs) Thank you for listening to today's episode of My Voice. For local services here at my house, please call 373-4357. That's 373-HELP.